See who's not here. Let's lift them up in prayer. Blue. Blue. And I'm going to try to give you the right numbers tonight. Amen. 370. 370. 370. Count your blessings. And if you can, let's all stand.
and if you would, open us in prayer, please. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, we had our first Bible study class and had a good group. I, I'm thankful for that. And uh, uh, some people were encouraged uh, to, to see some things there. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, there's still time to get in if you want to. Uh, to be honest with you, I've given out the last of the books. If we need more, just let me know because I'd be glad to order more. I'm going to order more. But uh, um, I just, uh, you don't know how many is going to take the class when you first start. So I'm just uh, thrilled that we have so many wanting to attend. And uh, so continue to pray for that, if you will. And also, uh, I told them that uh, I've been working on a document on, on how to study your Bible for years. And uh, to be honest with you, it, it might be good use this as an impetus to take and put meat, more meat to the, the chapters and, and maybe actually turn it into a book. So if you would, I'd appreciate you praying for that. It's a burden I've had for a long time. I just think it's a wonderful thing for God's people to be able to study the Bible and get something out of it. And so if you will, uh, I just uh, would ask you to pray for that. Pray for the week ahead, and uh, we do have some traveling and, and uh, some unspoken prayer requests. Let's do be in prayer for one another. Uh, we're going to receive, if one of us will go get the things, I forgot to bring them up. Been a busy week this week. I haven't had a week like this in a long time. We, uh, uh, we was talking about when I first came, I used to preach five uh, times a week, and that was just a regular thing, and, and uh, I'm up to eight times this week, so Amen. So anyhow, yeah, you don't care, do you? <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Brother Wave, if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, so grateful to be back in your house tonight, Lord. So blessed with the class that Pastor put on for us, Lord. We just, yes, I just pray Lord, that you, you open our Lord, hearts and minds, Lord, just help us receive that information, Lord. Lord, just be a pastor tonight as he preaches your word, Lord. Lord, just yes. take these offerings and uh, do as you will, Lord. We just love you with all of our hearts. Yes, Lord. Amen.
to 299. Let's go to 299. Amen. Sunday night kind of talked about, if you will, uh, the end times a little bit and, and the coming of Christ. And one of the things that's introduced in, in talking about that is the uh, subject of the kingdom of God. And so I kind of want to look at that here uh, tonight. So if you would, uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 again. We want to look at a couple things here. And we want to talk about Christ and his kingdom and in Daniel chapter 2, God gives, if you will, kind of an outline for all prophecy. To me, it's a good bone structure or frame or, or a framing network on which to hang all of our prophecies. And uh, if anybody's ever done like a puzzle or if you've ever done, oh, you know, where bolts have to line up, match up, you know, once you get the frame and everything, uh, to get a piece and you put it up and it just doesn't line up, you realize it's not, the problem's not with the frame or the structure. You probably got the wrong piece up there, okay, or you're putting it in the wrong place. And so that's the beauty of these portions of Scripture is they give us that framework in which to take, and you get a fact, and you say, well, how does that fit in with that? And, and it makes it so that you can take and discern some things. Now, I'm, I'm of the mind that you can't really uh, know 
um, prophecy. I think you could study it and have an idea and have, if you will, your mind around a few things. And that's really my goal uh, here today. And so I do want to talk about the as- aspect of Christ in his kingdom. So think about this. We talk about the, the times of the Gentiles. And if you will, uh, it's talking about different kingdoms that would rule Jerusalem. Because that is, remember where the Bible says God, uh, that Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye? If you're not familiar with that, the apple is the pupil, okay? And so it's the very center of his eye. And so God's attention is focused on that promised land and on that city, the city of Zion, the city of his son, and the city of his great king. And, uh, and so we see here in uh, Daniel chapter 2 that prophecy that was given unto Nebuchadnezzar about the statue of gold, the head of gold, and then all the way down to the feet of iron and clay. And uh, then it talks about uh, a rock cut without hands. So so let's read it. I I don't want to paraphrase it. Verse uh, 37, he begins to describe the statue and the the vision that he saw. And he says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings. Meaning you're, you're, you're the head of all the kings right now. And God has put you in charge of Jerusalem, all right? Again, that's, that is the thing. He didn't make him king of the world. He made him king that incorporated the promised land, okay? And it says, Thou art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And lest he forget that, in chapter 4, he reminded him. He says, if you think you did all this, I'm going to take your mind from you, and you can live as an animal for a while, for seven seasons, if you will. I believe seven years. He, he took a raw, uh, went around without having sense as a man, because he walked out on his porch one day, and he says, see, this kingdom of Babylon, is this not a great thing that I built? And the Bible says, while the words were in his mouth, he lost his mind and became a, a beast, eating grass, the Bible says, his hair growing Uh, His fingernails growing like talons, if you will, and you can only imagine that. And then when he woke up, he says, there's only one God in heaven. There's only one God in heaven. So when God takes and he says, I gave it to you, and I had a purpose in it. And just in my studies here recently, I see that God, uh, some people are just raised up for God to show his might and to show his purposes in some people. And Nebuchadnezzar was one of those people, amen. You are that king of kings. You are that head of gold. In verse uh, uh, 38, the Bible says, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. And he's talking about the Persian Empire and that, that empire of King Cyrus, okay? Cyrus the Great, if you will. And uh, the Persians, I believe their empire lasted close to 200 years. I believe it was a little bit more, actually. But it was an inferior kingdom in power and prestige and character and in quality. We talked about that last time. And the Bible says this. uh, It says, uh, and another, a third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Meaning, when it says all the earth there, folks, he's talking about all the land. He's talking about all the promised land, okay? That's what he's talking about. And that, of course, would be the kingdom of Alexander the Great and the Macedonians or the Greek Empire, if you will. And, uh, uh, and again, inferior in quality and character and different things like that. And then, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, okay? For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh in uh, all these, it says, shall break in pieces and bruise. Now, again, most people say that this is the Roman Empire. 
I'm of a mind that, that maybe it could be the Muslims and, and, and Islam. Uh, the only reason for that is this, is because the Roman Empire built things. They made things better in a lot of ways. We talked about that a little bit. Having said that, I'm not going to get in an argument with anybody. To be quite honest with you, we're all guessing on that fourth empire. But uh, the fourth empire here, uh, it, it was a destructive, a damaging. And if you were to read in other chapters, it talks about being a terrible beast, just an awful beast, okay, as far as its destruction. In verse 41, the Bible says, And whereas thou sawest the feet of toes and parts of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. Again, that's another reason that I believe it's, it's Islam, but that's another message for another day. The Bible says, And as the toes and the feet were part of iron, part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings, okay, he's talking about all these kings. As a matter of fact, he's talking about four kings here. But if you were to study in the book of Revelation, he talks about seven kings. And if you think about it, there have been seven kingdoms that have had, if you will, dominion over the promised land. Think of the first. The first, obviously, was Egypt. You remember, they went into the promised land. Uh, in a sense, uh, Egypt ruled over them. The second one was Assyria. You remember Assyria had taken and taken the northern ten tribes or Israel into captivity. And so they had been in bondage to them. And then the seventh one, because you have then the next four. And then the seventh one is the time of the Antichrist and the kingdom of Antichrist. And, uh, and then it talks about an eighth and that has to do with what happens to Antichrist. But again, that's another message for another day. The whole point is this. He's talking about those are going to be the kingdoms of men that rule in the land. By the way, by and large, does Israel rule Jerusalem today? Does Israel rule Jerusalem today? By the way, they just finally made it their capital, what, two, three, four years ago? Okay, that's four or five years ago maybe at this point. Uh, but having said that, listen, they still answer to the UN. They still have, uh, even today, uh, they're still trying to have a two-state solution, even with all of Gaza and everything going on like that. And please take this the right way. They might be living there, but there's a whole bunch of people living there. They're not really truly in charge of their own land, even today, and, uh, and won't be until the fulfillment of this next verse. Go to verse 45. And in verse 45 it says, For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, it says, The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, the interpretation is sure thereof. And he's saying this, he says, There's going to be coming that mountain kingdom, or that stone kingdom, if you will, cut without hands, and it is going to come into the earth, and the Bible says in another place that it's going to take and it's going to fill the earth. Okay. Now, by the way, I believe that one actually is going to be the land plus. Okay. I, I, I just when Jesus comes, he's going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's going to be in charge of everything, is he not? Now, think about this. This was a promise given to Daniel. Okay. About, if you will, this coming king, because all these were kings and kingdoms that we're talking about so far. Remember, it was Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and it was, it was uh, Cyrus and the Persians, and it was Alexander and the Greeks. You all understand that? And so, if you will, they were looking for Christ and his kingdom that would come into, if you will, the promised land. 
Now, the Bible tells us again in, in verse 45 that the kingdom is sure to come. Now, that's the last we're going to look at that, because if you will, that was the promise, and that was the thing that the Jews were always looking for. We can't wait to get over uh, the time when the Gentiles rule over us, and so when Christ comes, he's going to be this great king, and we're going to conquer the world, and he's going to bring priests into the land, and everything's going to be wonderful. The problem is they, they didn't realize is that Jesus had to come to be a savior before he could be a king. He had to come to die before he could rule. Amen. And so they had it a little bit out of order. But how many of y'all know this? Eventually, Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to destroy all those kingdoms. He's going to destroy the beast. He's going to destroy the Antichrist. going to throw the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. Amen. And, and so, if you will, those are all promises and truths that we know because of New Testament Scripture. Amen. But think about this. In the time of Christ, when he came, he was preaching a kingdom, and man, they were excited about it. Amen. Matter of fact, go, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be, uh, mostly Matthew from here out. Matthew chapter 5. And look at verse seven, uh, 17. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. And the Bible says this. It says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets... I am not come to destroy, but what's it? But to uh, to fulfill. What he's saying is, I came here to fulfill all the prophecies. Amen. Well, by the way, one of the prophecies was to bring in the kingdom. You remember how many times that the disciples took him aside and said, uh, uh, "Do we look for? Uh, uh, are you the king, or do we look for another? And uh, will you bring the kingdom in at this time, or, or uh, can I sit on your right hand and can I sit on your left?" And and they they were so excited excuse me, about that kingdom happening in their lifetime and in Christ's earthly walk, at least that first time, that they, they didn't get a hold of the fact that that was still just kind of an end time prophecy because they were still in that time of the Gentiles. They had not crushed that fourth empire yet, if you will. I want you to notice how much that, if you will, that the, uh, uh, that the kingdom was a part of their mentality and their thinking, Okay. Uh, while we're in Matthew chapter 5, go to Matthew chapter 6 and look at verse 10. I want you to think about this. And, and folks, we, we look at this a little bit this morning. But uh, those of you who have red letter Bibles, this is red letter, right? Okay, and so this is in, if you will, the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in a sense, folks is sitting as king, and he is being lawgiver. And we, we saw this this morning in our Sunday school class. You remember God gave the law to Moses, but if you will, Jesus spoke with authority when he went and he gave this longest sermon in the Bible, and he was saying, this is what my kingdom is going to be like. And he just delineates. He says, it's going to be like this, it's going to be like this, it's going to be like this. And to be quite honest with you, some of these things apply now, but they're def or at least in desire or ambition, but they're definitely going to apply when Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign on the earth. Amen. But notice what he says in, in chapter 6 and verse 10 again. The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, he says this. He says, by the way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And folks, a lot of times that is just a format prayer, a formula prayer that people pray. And, and uh, anybody ever been at church where they'll, they'll, they'll pray that as a formula prayer? 
And it's almost uncomfortable, isn't it? It's like God didn't tell us to pray this, you know, pray in this manner. But if you will, he, he's teaching us at the very beginning, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know what that means? Kingdom's not here yet. Kingdom's not here yet, okay? And so what can we understand about the kingdom? Even in the Sermon on the Mount, what it's going to be like in his kingdom, he says our prayer ought to be, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's also repeated in Luke chapter 11. We won't go there. But we see here, if you think about it, uh, I don't know if how many of you have ever seen a satyr or anybody know what a satyr is? A seder is uh, what they do today in substitute of a Jewish Passover, okay? And instead of sacrificing a lamb and uh, bringing bitter herbs and all that stuff like that, they'll, they'll take and they'll have a plate, okay? And they'll have a boiled egg and a, and a, and a, and a, and a I don't know all that's on it. Please forgive me. I'm not trying to be clever. But they do that in sac- because they can't sacrifice a lamb on the Temple Mount. You guys all understand that? And one of the things that they pray at the end of their prayer is next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. Meaning what? It's almost like Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come. That's exactly what they're praying for. They're praying for the Messiah. They're praying for him to come and to rule and to reign. And they're saying he didn't make it this year, but maybe next year, thy kingdom come. Next year in Jerusalem, amen. And so if you will, uh, we see that that uh, is even part of that prayer in um, the... uh, uh, excuse me, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Lord's model prayer there in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to notice when Jesus was introduced, did you ever see how Jesus was introduced to the world? Go back a few pages here, if you will, to Matthew chapter 3 and look at verse 2. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. The Bible says in verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen? And so, if you will, they're looking for the kingdom of heaven immediately upon John the Baptist. Amen? That's his message. Now, get a hold of this. Remember when they were talking about kingdoms, they were always related to a king. What kingdom is associated with Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. What is associated with Persia? Cyrus. Okay, what is associated with Greece? Alexander. Amen. So who is associated with Israel's kingdom? Christ. Okay. And so Christ. And so when he says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning this, he's not just talking about bringing the kingdom in, but he's saying the king is here. And so when he's proclaiming Christ, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they're looking, man, they're excited. Woo, we can't wait for that kingdom to come in. Amen. But you also remember it was John the Baptist says, are you the one or do we look for another? Because folks, get a hold of this. He was looking for Jesus to sit on a throne. He was looking for Jesus to defeat his enemies, amen. He was looking to turn all those Gentile nations into, pa- uh, into powder and have the wind drive them away. That was the metaphor in, 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 in uh, Daniel chapter 2 last week when we looked at it. And so if you will, John the Baptist was saying, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, think about this. What was Jesus' first minute, minute message? What was Jesus' message? Well, I'll show it to you. It was it's in chapter 4, look at verse 17. Tell me what it was. This is the very first time Jesus has recorded preaching in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message. Y'all see that? And so he's talking, if you will, to a people who are looking for a king, and they're looking for a kingdom, and they're looking for God to fulfill his promises, amen? 
But having said that, uh, God made a lot of promises concerning the Christ, one of which is Isaiah chapter 53. He's a lamb dumb before his, uh, before his shears, amen. And if you will, he was going to be slaughtered. He was going to have to take and have our iniquity placed on him, amen. The Bible is going to see the travail of his soul and be satisfied, amen. Uh, take this the right way. Was the king at hand? He certainly was. And if they really wanted their kingdom, they should have said, you know, Hosanna, you know, for, for Christ whenever he was coming. That's, that's what they were crying out. They were crying for their Messiah. They were crying for their king. And so, if you will, we see the kingdom is being defined. First off, Jesus is introduced as the king. Now, folks, we all the time we take and we, we, uh, we, uh, we quote, if you will, Revelation chapter 19, where the Bible talks about his vesture saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Folks, we don't have to wait that long. It was the very first thing John the Baptist said. And it was the very first thing Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning I'm here. <laughs> you want to take and you want to receive your king? Here I am. Amen. And yet, you remember what their response was ultimately. We will not have this man to rule over us. And by the way, that's, that's tragic. Amen. Think about this, all the wonderful promises of God. And we have not because we ask not. And we ask, we ask amiss that we might consume it upon our lust. And so Jesus is saying, you want your king? Here I am. And they said, well, we want this and we want this and we want this and we want this. Uh, we were just talking in our class here about the feeding of the 5,000. What was everybody's response to getting that free meal? They wanted to go make him king, folks. And he had to pass through their midst. Why? Because he, he took and, and, and he said, I didn't come here to reign this time, though I am the king. Well, you, but even, even if you will, Pontius Pilate, he says, you want me to crucify your king? Come on now, amen? Listen, even Pontius Pilate got it. He says, you want me to crucify your king? Because this is your king. He started out saying, I'm the king. The kingdom of God is at hand, amen? And, and, and the message was clear that Jesus and his kingdom, if you will, had been introduced and, and given. Now, Jesus explains what his kingdom is going to look like. Go to Matthew chapter 5, if you will. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Again, this is the Beatitudes. And notice what he says in verse 3. Excuse me here. Chapter 5, verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Folks, that's the very first thing uh, in his longest, if you will, uh, sermon as, by the way, he's sitting there as the king who said, I'm the kingdom of God. And he's talking about what his kingdom is going to be like. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, please forgive me. That's another message for another day about what that means. But the whole idea is Jesus is the one introducing the topic. Go down, if you will, to verse 10. Notice what it says in verse 10. And again, we're still in the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are they which are, what? What's the Bible say? Persecuted for righteousness, nay, for theirs is the... God, you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, we're, we're not really going to reign yet. We're going to have to go through some trials first. Listen, my kingdom is coming, but I, it, it might not be the way that you expect. We're not going to take and conquer all the enemies right now. But having said that, he did conquer all the enemies. Now what the Bible says? He's going to take and he's going to put all authority underneath him. Amen. And the last enemy that he conquers is death. And folks, the wages of sin is death and he conquered sin on the cross of calvary amen 
And so if you will, you, you, you take and you see this. And, 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 and so Jesus is, is explaining what it's going to be like. And so in verse 10 again, uh, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Christian, can I ask you a question? You ever get worn out with how hard it is to be a Christian? And the sad truth is we have not suffered near compared to what our forefathers have suffered. I didn't, uh, I didn't say it Wednesday night, but I brought it up here, and I, it didn't, I didn't have time to talk about it. But one of the things that I really wish that we as a Baptist people would take to heart is we need to learn and never forget our history. I got to ask this question. How many of you all have ever read a book about Baptist history? Yeah. Folks, that's a minority. And, and I will tell you this. I've got in my, in my office stacks of books, and one of which is Brother Jerry Locke was here a couple years ago. He preached about Baptist history. He wrote a book about Baptist history. And, and I think sometimes... We just forget the price that is paid for us to be sitting here in such comfort today. I wasn't trying to make fun of young people. And, and by the way, can I, this is my opinion now, okay? It's my opinion. But one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is a good work ethic. Amen. Can I, can I tell you, young people, it's a good idea for you to have to work hard. Uh, it's good for you to get a blister. It's good for you to work long hours. It, it's good for you to have calluses on your hand. Amen. Why? Because you know what? Grandma and Grandpa had to do that to give you the nice house that you're living in. And the sad truth is a lot of kids today think that a nice car and a nice house are right, and they forget that there was a time where people actually had to save an entire lifetime to finally buy their dream house. Had to drive junk until they could afford a better car. Come on now, amen? And yet we got people today who are distraught because they have to work 40 hours and they just don't have time for their social life. That's what that young lady said in her, she says, I come home and I'm just too tired. You know what she was trying to say? I'm too tired to party. I'm too tired to have a good time. Well, help me now, but the sleep of a laboring man is precious. And can I, I just tell you this, that it is good to take and to learn the price that our grandparents and our parents paid for us to have the wonderful luxuries that we have today. And folks, get a hold of this. It is very good for us to remember the price that was paid of people that had to venture their life for us to hear the gospel. Folks, it's been a long time since anybody spit on me or punched me in the nose because I tried to tell them about Jesus Christ. Amen? And we talk about, listen now, we get discouraged and we get distraught and we get down because it's so hard trying to live for the Lord. Please take this the right way, but it's not hard coming to church. Listen, I was glad when they said we were going into the house of the Lord. Amen? We ought to have that attitude. We ought to be thankful. Hey, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. And, oh, it's hard soul winning. Listen, I got to tell you what. It's nothing in soul winning today. Nobody's going to arrest you. Nobody's going to put you on the rack. Nobody's going to take your life simply because you want to take and serve the Lord. Listen, we've got it easy. And God says this. He says, blessed are those who suffer persecution for my sake. For theirs is the king of God. Meaning this, he says, listen, if you think you got it tough here, don't worry about it. Because you're going to inherit the kingdom 
of God. Folks, i got to tell you, it's good for us to have a steeled mentality. It's good for us, if you will, to understand hardship. And Jesus communicates that by teaching us about his kingdom. Go down to verse 19. In Matthew chapter 5, and verse 19, the Bible says this. It says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do them and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Help me for a second here, and I'm, I'm not trying to be clever, but to build big churches today, sometimes you've got to soft sell the gospel. Amen? You've got to take a soft stand on sin. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but most churches are accommodating the homosexual lifestyle today. And folks, you don't have to read very far to know God is against it. And I will tell you this, some people would take and say, well, that's an Old Testament principle, then you need to read Romans chapter 1. Because the last I looked, Romans chapter 1 was still in the New Testament. Amen. And so my whole point is this, is, is, is people are just taking and soft-selling it, and God is saying this, he says, listen, you better be preaching this book. You better be teaching this right. Why? Because you might be a success here, but you're not going to be a success in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And so uh, keep reading. Verse 20. The Bible says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And by the way, their righteousness was hypocritical righteousness. Amen. The Bible says, Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. As the Bible says in verse 21, You have heard that it was said uh, by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and uh, whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Uh, I, I think it went too far. Excuse me. You know, I read to it, verse 21. Anyhow, I think I was just supposed to read verse 20. Now, notice, if you will, that's Jesus is explaining what, it, what the, the kingdom of God would look like and what our expectations should be. Amen. And then he talks about who's going to be there. Go, if you will, in Matthew chapter 8. Look at verse 11. By the way, I, there's no way I can cover all the times that he talks about the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew. The theme, then, of uh, the book of Matthew is the king. Jesus Christ is king. In Matthew chapter 8, and verse 11, the Bible says this. He says, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Folks, get a hold of this. You know what he's saying? He's saying not just Jews are going to be in, in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. They're going to come from the east and they're going to come from the west. By the way, which direction do we come from? We're from the West. That's exactly right. We come from the West, okay? And there's a lot of ways to explain that. But uh, how many of y'all glad he incorporated the West? You know, the other thing that's nice about the East and the West, East and the West never meet. You use that illustration all the time. But he says, as far as I can go that way, I want everybody to be saved. And as far as I can go that way, I want everybody to be saved. And by the way, East and West will come and meet you right back there. Amen. He's saying everybody here and everybody there want them all to be in the kingdom of heaven. Now, take this for a second. Think about the mindset of a Jew. Amen. Well, we're God's chosen people. We're the only ones going to heaven. You know, people love to make jokes about this group or that group thinking they're the only ones going to heaven. Anybody here ever been accused of you're a Baptist, you think you're the only ones going to heaven? By the way, there might be some Baptists to believe that. And can I tell you this? They would be absolutely wrong. Praise God. God is saying this. 
I'm going to bring anybody who will call upon the name of Jesus into this kingdom ultimately. And I want them all over here and I want them all over there. Amen. That just tells you that we ought to take and expand our vision because Jesus couldn't have expanded it more. We also see the kingdom parables. We don't have time to go over all of them. But the kingdom parables are in Matthew chapter 13. Go there, please. Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, if you will. The Bible, uh, by the way, the, the, the Matthew 13, the very familiar parables, and uh, it's a wonderful study if you ever want to do it. But uh, down there in verse 11, the Bible says, He answered and he said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Meaning, he says, I'll explain my parable to you, but I'm not going to explain it to them. You remember quite often Jesus would teach something in public and uh, people would walk away, I don't, I don't understand. And then Jesus would come in private and he says, did you understand what I taught? And they would, yay, Lord. And, you know, sometimes they were lying. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but uh, uh, he would say, here, let me explain this one to you. And this very first one, the sower of the seeds, in the book of Mark it says this, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any parable? So in a sense, he gives you the key to understanding parables in this. And in chapter 13, it is kingdom parables, okay? Skip down, if you will, to look at verse 24. In verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13, the Bible says, he says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. You remember an enemy came and sowed tares and they said, what should we do? Should we take out the tares? He says, no, not, not unless uh, uh, you should also take out the good seed. And think about this. Uh, God, listen, is God the author of sin? No? Okay. Well, do people ever blame him for all the bad things that happen in this world? Well, please take this the right way. That's God's mercy. Because if he wanted to, as soon as somebody became too evil to redeem, he could have snatched them out, caused them to die. Amen? And, and, and he says, no, no, let them grow up together. And he says, at the end, we'll divide the wheat from the tares. At the end, we'll divide the... At the end. You know, when God says that he is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, that's implied in that parable, is it not? He's saying, listen, I want everybody in my kingdom. And we're going to take and we're going to suffer this until the end. Why? Because I want as many people to be saved as possible. I don't know about you. Kind of glad he waited until I got there. Don't you know that the people still to come are glad that God still has long-suffering patience, even though we have a mixed world full of wickedness and, of course, the children of God. Notice further in uh, verse 30, 31. The Bible says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is uh, the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air uh, uh, come and lodge in the branches thereof. By the way, doesn't that sound wonderful? I mean, we're going to plant this little seed, and, and man, it, uh, by the way, the biggest mustard seeds get this tall, 12 feet tall. Well, Okay, 12 feet, okay. <laughs> All right, the biggest ones, but they're a bush. They're not a tree, amen? And the Bible says that this mustard seed grew into a great tree. You say, all right, the gospel's going to the whole world and we're gonna just win everybody in. God, God says, and the fowls of the air 
And all you have to do is compare other parables and find that the fowls of the air are the children of the wicked one. And folks, if you will, the kingdom of heaven can be applied to us in the sense that God's given the church. And please take this the right way. Where, where should mankind live? It's, it's not a trick question. Where should mankind live? And, and don't say Detroit, okay? Where should, where, with, God. <laughs> with God. I mean, I'm, where? Should they live in the cities or should they live in the country? You guys don't know? They should live in all the world. Okay, all the world. Yeah, yeah. good. And so God doesn't want us centralizing. And by the way, anytime you see a city in the Bible, by and large, they are evil. God wants us decentralizing for any number of reasons, one of which is we can work for our labor, work for our food, sweat of our brow. Amen. And by the way, that is a good thing. Uh, By the way, you have to live by faith when you have to live by the faith of your crops coming in. And please take this the right way. What do, what do people in the East call us? Do anybody know? We're called flyover territory. You know what flyover territory means? They don't matter. Why? Because we're smarter and we're better and we have better character. And those dirty, stinky people. By the way, how do you become dirty and stinky? From working. <sighs> I didn't know what you said. So. <laughs> Amen. Uh, from working and from laboring. And by the way, folks, they hold that principle in contempt because they're living in their high rises, eating the best of their food, have all kinds of money, have a relatively easy life, and they look at the unwashed multitudes in the middle and hold us in contempt. And please take this the right way. Have you all read about the cities in the Bible? I'll give you one, Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, are many of our big cities at least that wicked today? Absolutely they are. Please take this the right way. God never intended churches to be megachurches never did because I will promise you this that churches that get too big pretty soon people can come in you can't control the membership I've been told this you really can't know the more than 40 people that sit around you okay so the people who sit up front know each other better than the people who sit in back I mean it's just it's, it's a fact if you grow over 40 it's just a simple fact okay you can't know everybody so go to a church with 10,000 members Are there churches with that many members? Mm -hmm. Folks, there's churches with 20,000 members. Anybody that they had that shooting the other day, anybody know how many can go to that church? 30,000 people, okay? If I'm not wrong, 17,000 at a time. 17,000 at a time they can take and go to the church. How many of y'all think they know each other? Could they hold each other accountable if they wanted to? Could you imagine church discipline in that church? How could you do church discipline? Amen. Uh, Y'all understand? And God says, I don't want these mega things where evil men can eat in the branches. We talked about that this morning. Amen. And God said this. He says, that's what's going to become of my kingdom. I never intended for mustard seeds to get that big. And yet most people who interpret that verse talk about it being a good thing. They also talk about it being a good thing when a woman hid a little leaven in a measure of meal. And the whole lump became leaven. Well, folks, leavening is a, is a picture of sin. <laughs> and, 
Say, well, it's the gospel. We're going to fill the whole world. I don't think you've read the end of the book. God says, that's not going to be the nature of my kingdom. And he takes and very carefully and very deliberately takes and does all that he can to educate us about what his kingdom is going to be. He does that with the kingdom parables. He talks about kingdom stewardship. Uh, For sake of time, I'll, I'll leave that. But go to chapter 16 now. Matthew chapter 16, look at verse 19. And he's talking to the church here, okay? And he said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Now help me. We just saw this a minute ago. Does God want only Jews to be in the kingdom? No, he says, from the east to the west. You all see that? And so when you look at this, you say, well, the church is only Jews. Well, at this point it was, but I will tell you this. They were to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, okay, to the uttermost parts of the earth or the world, okay? And, and so if you will, he says, I am going to give to you the keys to the kingdom, meaning this in a sense. He says, I'm turning it over to you, church. By the way, who had the keys before that? All you got to do is study Isaiah chapter 22, and it talks about Shebna, a wicked, uh, a wicked servant who had the keys taken away, and it was given to another servant. Now, please take this the right way. All the promises of God made to Israel will be fulfilled. The church is not spiritual Israel. But God did say, they don't want me to be king? Okay. And he took the keys and he gave them to somebody who was willing to, be, to let Jesus be the king. He gave it to the church. Amen? We are kings and priests. Why? We're, we're of that chain, if you will. And, and so we see here, he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I touched on that this morning, so let's move on. Uh, go, if you will. He's going to talk about kingdom exaltation. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse 1. It says, And at the same time, disciples came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And by the way, uh, think about this. Uh, some people are very concerned about position in heaven. Any of y'all, I mean, and just be honest, any of y'all ever think about that? Is most of us just glad to get there, right? The Bible talks about by the skin of our teeth. Hopefully you're doing better than that. Amen. But I will tell you this, you realize there are going to be somebody, there's somebody's going to sit closer to Jesus in the kingdom. Somebody's going to have more crowns. Somebody's going to be more exalted, amen. And, and so if you will, uh, it, it is a legitimate concern. I, I'll be honest with you, if you're not concerned about your rewards in heaven, you're a fool. Now, I'm not telling you it ought to be your primary motivation. And I'm not telling you you ought to be bragging about it. And I'm not telling you you ought to think you're better than somebody. But I'm telling you this, you ought to be concerned. Amen? Why? Because even Jesus in his teaching here is going to take and explain that. He says, well, I'll, I'll tell you who's going to be the greatest. Amen? And it might not be who you think it is. Judas. <laughs> Amen. Boanerges, the two sons of thunders, James and John. Amen? No, he says this, and Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. He says, you want to know what it's like to be great in my kingdom? I want you to be like this little child. Now help me. A little child is weak, relatively. A little child doesn't have full understanding, relatively. A little child doesn't have power, or true. 
And a little child has to have a little bit more faith than somebody that has a pocket full of money. Do you all understand my point? And so when Jesus takes and he pulls them aside, he says this, And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about this. Who, who, who do you think, I mean, just help me now, who, who is the greatest man in the New Testament apart from Jesus Christ? I mean, who, who? Huh? Paul? Yeah, not in his mind. No, well, John the Baptist is the right answer, actually. That's a good answer. But the Apostle Paul, I think it would be fair. He said, I out excelled them all. But you know what his testimony, he said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I can't help what I am. God made me who I am. But I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church. And please take this the right way. I don't care how great a Christian you ever become. You might not want to forget who you were before salvation. Amen. The apostle Paul never did. And as great as he was, and as much as he accomplished, and even though he said, I excelled them all, his humility was this. He says, man, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace. I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. Please take this the right way. Somebody with that mentality doesn't have a problem opening the door for somebody. Somebody with that mentality doesn't have a problem with picking up a piece of trash. And somebody with that mentality is willing, uh, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be gross, but to wipe up somebody's vomit if it happens. By the way, can I give you a ministry opportunity here? I'm, I'm giving it to you right now. I just, I just heard this today because I was sitting at my desk uh, this afternoon and, uh, uh, and a lady has called us and asked if she can come to church. She's an independent fundamental Baptist from Mississippi and she said, I'd love to come to your church. She says, but I'm wheelchair bound. I need somebody who's strong enough to lift me into a car to get me to church. Or are you humble enough to, to go every Sunday to get a woman who can't get her on her own and, and the indignities of a wheelchair, okay? Are you willing to do that? And I'm not trying to guilt anybody into that ministry. I'm just telling you, that lady was so sweet. She says, if you got somebody who'd be willing to do that, I'd love to come to your church. Well, I can't do that. I'm too busy. I'm, I'm too important. I'm too... I kind of want to be real for a second here, folks, but I'll be honest with you. The Bible says that we need to each esteem other greater than our own selves. I, I have a hard time doing this, folks, but our church is getting in the habit of coming later and later and later. I'll just tell you this, that when you come early, I mean, it might cost you some time. But you might also be able to minister to somebody. You might be able to take care of a need before church begins. You might just be esteeming somebody better. And I'm not, please, I, 
I'm, I'm not trying to be critical. But be humble enough to say, I'm willing to show up before everybody else. Amen? You see, God says this. He says, he says you need to become like this little child. Okay? If you want to be the greatest. And I'll tell you this. You don't want to be the greatest here. You want to be the greatest there. Now, we're out of time here, but he talks about the kingdom being established. And I'll, I'll just talk to you about this, and then you can go on. But in Revelation chapter 19, that's when he comes on the white horse as the king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible says he destroys his enemies before him. And if you will, they're cast to the wind. Amen. And you remember that rock that was cut without hands? Amen. And it smashes the image in the feet. And it turns it to dust, chaff, and it blows it off. Amen. And then it becomes a great mountain in the earth and it fills the whole earth. Amen. Folks, you can understand that text in, in uh, Revelation chapter 19 a whole lot better now that you know that background and you see about him coming as King of kings and Lord of lords with his great army to establish his kingdom for a thousand years and would to God that we could have a wonderful part in that. Folks, the kingdom of God is not just a Jewish teaching. It's something we get to have a part in. And would to God we'd understand it a little better. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. I don't know what the Lord would have you to do, but uh, if you want to come, uh, turn to 253.